Can you guys stand to your feet right now? Can we give the craziest welcome to Dominic Russo, guys? Come on. Good morning, good morning. How are you guys doing today? That was our most uh, recent missions outreach to the nation of Peru this past June. It was an absolute miracle uh, to see our largest missions team ever mobilize the team of 10,000 missionaries uh, to reach 1.1 million people face to face. How many people believe we're living in an era where entire nations could be laid at the feet of Jesus? And we are just overwhelmed by what God did. And I have to tell you, it feels so good in this room this morning. I, I know, having just stood here for an hour for the first time ever, that I am absolutely among family. And spirit speaks the spirit. And I just, um, I'm overwhelmed by the, the, the passion, the dedication, the vision, and honestly, the, the revival fire that burns in this room. It's absolutely amazing. And I, I have come to admire, appreciate, love, and honor your leaders. Can we give it up for the Barcelonas? These guys are unbelievable. Wow. <clears throat> Not only is his shoe game unmatched, but he is, he is absolutely incredible. And, uh, and he's even got some of that Lou rasp in his preaching voice. I was like, wow, the, the mantle has fallen. <laughs> But my goodness, it's just incredible to see out of Southern California a movement to touch the high schools of America. I can't imagine if 90% of people who call in the name of Jesus are under the age of 18. Um, may this be the first of hundreds that emerge across the nation. I'm believing that what you guys are spearheading and pioneering is going to be reproduced and multiplied not only across this nation but across the earth. I believe you guys are building a template and you're pioneering a new model to capture the attention of schools and universities across this land and across the nations of the earth. So I could not respect, honor, appreciate, esteem who you are and what you're building more. And it is an absolute honor to spend time with you this weekend. I'm going to probably sit for some of our talk. I had a medical procedure at the end of last week, so a little less... Uh, running and jumping and shouting than usual this morning, but I am, I am so um, privileged to, to get to connect and communicate with you this morning. Did anyone come hungry for God's word this morning? Before you pray, would you just turn to your neighbor and say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person at one voice. Find one more person saying, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best dressed person for sure. Man, it is so good to speak to a group of fashion-forward individuals. I come from the Midwest where fashion takes a back seat. So uh, it feels good to be in this room. Everybody knows the best-looking people on the earth are here in SoCal. But it is, it is so good to be here. Um, I'd love to to open in prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you that eye has never seen, ear has never heard. It's never even entered the heart of humanity, what you have prepared for us who love you. Spirit of the living God, we thank you that you didn't simply come to make bad people good. You came to make dead people alive. 
And I thank you this morning that you are calling to life the eternal purposes over each and every one of us in the room. Father, I pray that everything you want imparted would be released in these moments we share. In Jesus' name, Lord, we position our hearts for you to encounter us again. In Jesus' name, and everybody shouted. Amen and amen. Well, since this is my first time with you, I'll give you a brief history storyline on what brings us to this point. I grew up in a pastor's home in southeastern Michigan, about an hour north of Detroit. Wow, Detroit, Detroit hustles harder. Detroit versus everybody is represented in the room. Um, and so I, I honestly felt like I grew up in, in the church building. My dad was a pastor my entire life. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, women's Bible studies, senior citizens gatherings. So uh, there was a particular Wednesday night. I was 12 years old. I thought, of course, this will just be another service. I've been through this drill hundreds of times before. We had a special guest speaker that night. He was actually a former competitive bodybuilder, competed with Arnold Schwarzenegger, ended up being Mr. America, Mr. World, Mr. Universe, but he was telling his wild and crazy testimony of drugs and alcohol and success, then crashing uh, to the bottom and finding God in the middle of it. And I know I was, I was listening on and off throughout the message, but at the conclusion of the message, he said, if you feel God has a special plan for your life, I invite you to come forward. I want to pray with you. I turned to my friends. I said, I, I, I feel like I want to respond to that. I came to the front. Definitely not expecting anything dramatic to happen, but as that man of God began to pray for me, I had an encounter and an experience with the God I grew up hearing about. And at 12 years old, I found myself lying on the floor for over an hour, and God was giving me a picture of my future. I saw um, huge crowds of people further than the eye could see, different ethnicities, different cultures, but more profound than what I was seeing with my spiritual eyes was what I was feeling. I felt like God was giving me a glimpse of his pain for lost people. And I, I just remember at 12 years old, weeping and crying almost uncontrollably for an hour, and God was marking my heart for the lost and for the unreached and for the nations of the earth. Well, I got up off the floor that day knowing I was called to ministry, started uh, going on missions as a teenager, spent a month in Calcutta, India when I was 14, working in Mother Teresa's homes, a month in Africa when I was 15, uh, all across Central and South America, and left home to Oral Roberts University at 17, and I would go down a hill uh, behind our dorm, and every time that I would pray, God would bring me back to that moment when I was 12, and and I remember thinking, God, how am I going to go to the nations? How, I, don't know, I don't know anyone in Africa. I don't know anyone in, in the Latin world. I don't have any money. I'm a college student. I, I actually call home to my dad with such frustration. I said, Dad, I feel like the vision God's given me is so overwhelming I could barely stand it. And I said, but I, I don't even see how it could happen. And my dad simply said the same thing every time. He said, Dominic, if God put the division inside of you, then God's going to help you bring it to pass. And I, I had no idea that two and a half short years later, but to my junior and senior years, I'd lead my first team uh, myself on a missions outreach and do our first ever stadium outreach. And there in a little city in Dominican Republic, we had 30,000 people in Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic. And I remember at 20 years old, standing on this dusty platform with 25, 30,000 people gathered, was able to give the altar call moment. And as 
this crowd of peoples calling on the name of Jesus in the middle of this remote part of the Dominican Republic. Tears are streaming down my face, and all I can think is, this is what God showed me when I was 12. And it was, it was pretty overwhelming. For six years, we, we ran that, this play of traditional crusade evangelism. And as a college student, I studied many of the great evangelists and, and ministers that did mass outreach in the 20th century and got very close to a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. T.L. Osborne, who did a lot in Africa and in India. And, and basically, we copy and pasted that model where you go into a city, you invite the local pastors in that city to unite. You get a neutral venue like a stadium or a plaza. You work with local political leaders like mayors and governors. And then you invite the city to that place. And then, of course, you hope those new salvations will filter back into the local churches. And for five or six years, we were doing these citywide outreaches. But around the, the, the five-year mark, I began to have this dissatisfaction in my heart that there had to be a new blueprint and a new model for a new generation. And not only that, there had to be a way to even make a more sustainable impact. And on top of that, this conviction that the gospel deserves the attention of entire nations. And I remember at 26, I, I, I called our Latin director. I said, Rigo, I believe it's time for us to go after an entire nation. And I said, the only way we're going to be able to do it is if we have an act of a president. And I said, we need to sit with the president. I think Honduras is our first nation. We need to sit with the president of Honduras. Well, six months later, miraculously, I find myself in the office of the president of Honduras, 26 years of age. I say, Mr. President, I know your nation's in pain. Unemployment's over 40%. They're calling this the world's murder capital. The highest homicide rate per capita is here in this nation. There's been great divisions since what many called a coup in 2009. But what if in part Isaiah the prophet was speaking to this moment in your history when he wrote, can a nation be saved in a day? Mr. President, what if all of Honduras could be healed, could be changed, could be saved in one day? And I said, we have a vision that comes from this scripture called One Nation, One Day, but we'll only be able to proceed if you'll agree to these five things. First, stand with me on Saturday, July 20, 2013, and together from the Olympic Stadium, we'll speak to the entire nation. Two, pass legislation through your Congress calling One Nation, One Day an official national holiday. Three, open up every public high school in the nation and allow our missions teams to come do a one-hour school-wide assembly with an altar call. Four, open up the ports and borders. Allow us to ship 18 humanitarian container loads of aid without any taxes or hang-ups at the borders. And number five, this was the big request, give us the 18 largest stadiums and the capital cities of all 18 states for free. Now, we didn't know what the president was going to say. But the Lord truly gave us his heart. And by the end of the meeting, he was signing a resolution. Now, some people said it's one thing to get the presidential support, but there's no way this evangelical, evangelistic moment is going to pass through our Catholic Congress. Six months later, the bill passed unanimously through the Honduras Congress. And all five provisions became law in the nation. I remember I thought, who am I going to take into this meeting with me? My dad's probably the most optimistic human being breathing air on planet Earth. 
and he's going to think everything was great, so I probably shouldn't bring him. I said, I'm going to bring my father-in-law. He's this cerebral, wise, kind of processing, like quintessential leader. He's 40 years senior. So I bring him into the room, and I remember walking out of the office of the president. I said, I said, Pastor Dennis, could you believe what the president, I wanted to do fat, uh, I wanted to do backflips down the street. I said, could you believe what the president just committed to? Well, he takes this deep breath. He says, Dominic, son, I know you're excited about what the president just committed to, but do you realize what you just committed to? <laughs> he said, you just told this man you're going to bring 2,000 missionaries to his nation. Now, he knows the largest team I'd ever brought was 200. And to bring 200, I invited everyone I'd ever met in my entire life. He's like, how are you going to go from 200 to 2,000? He said, you just promised to procure millions of dollars in aid, 18 containers. How are you going to get all of this aid and then ship them, raise the funds to ship it into the country? And then 18 simultaneous stadium outreaches. Why don't you start with two in one day or five in one day? Well, suddenly the weight of the world began to fall on my shoulders. But how many people know when you have a word from God that a word from God is all you need? <laughs> And we began to, to push and to fight, and uh, I remember starting to secure all the commercial flights that go into Honduras, and we, we discovered only 500 commercial seats into the nation per day. And so we realized we had to charter an aircraft, and so I started calling all the, all the private airlines and charter companies, and nobody was returning our phone call. Finally, I found somebody that owned the massive Boeing 747 double-decker jet, and I told these guys, I said, we need, to, we need to lease your 747. They said, how many missionaries do you have registered right now? I said, well, we have 500, but we just know we're going to bring 2,000. And um, by faith, began to negotiate the terms and miraculously secured the jet. It filled three times. It had to shuttle back and forth from Miami to bring the largest missions team in history to, to Honduras. Through that week, we reached a million people face-to-face, -face, and the front page of every newspaper on Sunday morning after the stadium outreaches said, we have a new Honduras. It was, it was pretty amazing. A year later, we meet with the new president of the country. He said, Dominic, I was there in the Olympic Stadium. In all my years being a Honduran citizen, it was the most significant moment in the history of our nation. And he said, now look at what's happened. Violence has diminished nationwide by 38.2%. For the first time in 25 years, we've had no teacher strikes and no missed classes. First peaceful election in two decades. We have a new Honduras. It was amazing. I believe that we're standing not just in a new season as the body of Christ, but we're actually standing in a new era. And in this new era, God's moving on his church and through his church as never before in human history. I have just one word that I believe God wants to cement in your spirit this morning. And it's out of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It's arguably the, the single greatest promise that we could anchor our lives upon. And it's simply this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Would you say that with me? I will never leave you nor forsake you. When Jesus gave us our shared mandate, 
the Great Commission. It was a pretty massive assignment. Holding the keys of authority in his hand. He said, all authority in heaven, but not just in heaven. Where else? On earth. In other words, Adam, what you relinquished in the garden, your authority to rule and reign and have dominion, what you gave to the enemy, I recaptured. I've just been to hell. I took the keys back from Satan. Before I ascended, I descended, and I captured those keys. And now all authority in heaven, not just in heaven, Adam, on the earth, I'm holding in my hands. In light of this, go into all the world and what? Make disciples of nations. Now, if that was simply a mobilization mandate, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. We just have to go. But we don't believe that Jesus gave us the Great Commission simply so that the church would go or so that the church would grow. If that were the case, Jesus would have simply said, go into all the world and add converts. But he didn't say, go into all the world and get sinners' prayers. He said, go into all the world and disciple nations. Now, if I'm going to take an individual on a discipleship journey, that means I have to lead that individual. How many people know if we're going to disciple nations, implicit in that command is that we would lead nations? So Jesus, holding the keys of authority in his hand, says to his church, I'm giving you not just permission, not just the mandate, but I'm authorizing you to not just go to nations, but to lead nations and transform them completely. That's why we belong in the office of presidents. That's why we belong in the boardroom table, at the head of the boardroom table. That's why we belong in the schools of America. That's why we belong in mass media communications. Because Jesus didn't simply say go, he said lead. Now how are we going to lead nations? He concludes his mandate with this phrase. And be sure of this. I am with you. When we're on the mountaintop, how many people know he's with us? He said, I will never leave you. But what what about when we stumble and fall? Never leave you or forsake you. And you know, if you study in the original language, that word never, it literally means never. But Dominic, what what about when I'm 11 days behind on my YouVersion Bible reading plan? Somebody say, never. But Dominic, what about when I'm not feeling spiritual that day? Never. What about when I'm on the mountaintop? What about when I'm in the valley? He says, I will never leave you. And as we stand with this outrageous mandate to not just go, to not just grow the church, but to lead and disciple nations. Jesus says, I'm anchoring you with a promise that as you go, I will be with you. Let me tell you, if he is with us, there are some very significant implications. The first We're fearless. David the psalmist wrote in Psalm 23, 4, he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid of anything. Why? Because you are with me. 
I've made a decision this year that I refuse to make a single fear-based decision. I, I will not make a fear-based I will not set a fear-based goal. I will not react in fear. I will not order my life based on fear. Every decision I make, I will filter through the lens of it being fearless. If he is with me, I will fear nothing. When I get on an airplane, nothing. When I look at my bank account, nothing. When I'm setting my goals, nothing. When I'm standing in a room where I'm not the most intelligent in the room, nothing. When I'm sitting with an influencer, nothing. When God gives me a platform, nothing. No matter what he gives me, I will fear no evil because he's with me. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples and the Bible says suddenly a furious storm came up on a lake. Now, if I'm on a small boat and it's a regular occurrence that people die at sea and there's a massive storm, I feel like that's cause for fear. But Jesus was sleeping in verse 24. Finally, the disciples woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replies with this. You are totally justified. I get it. This is scary. Is that what he says? He replies instead, you of little faith. Check this out. Why are you so afraid? In other words, don't you know I am with you? If I am with you, you should be fearless. We have no authority over storms we can't sleep in. We have no authority over situations we can't stay in perfect peace, no matter what our physical eyes see. And Jesus says to us, if I'm with you, you can be fearless. Moses I've got a big assignment for you. You know the most powerful empire in the history of mankind? I know it's only been four, it's been 400 years, and I know that you're a fugitive, but here's the deal. You're going to lead the whole nation out. Look in verse 9. The cries of the people of Israel have reached me, and I see how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answers with what? I will be with you. In other words, Moses, if you are the one God goes with, nothing else matters. If he's with me, somebody say fearless. fearless. If he's with me, number two, I'm shameless. Somebody shout shameless. Now, for me, it's easier to believe he's with me when I am on fire, when I have prayed and interceded 13 days in a row and not missed a day, when I have been in the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, when, when I have stayed in faith, no matter what the circumstances have been, when I didn't react when I used to react, when, when I... When I when, when every single thought in my mind has been, per when, when I mean, I'm just doing it all right. But what about when we stumble and fall? But what about when we don't get it right? 
But what about when we continue to fall into the same trap? What about when we continue to be weak? Is he still with us then? In Proverbs 24, 16, it says, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Isn't it amazing that in Proverbs, the one who falls seven times is still called the righteous one? I get that he's with me when I'm on the mountaintop, but what about when I fall? Is he still with me then? Second Timothy, overwhelmed with the truth that he's still with us, Paul tells young Timothy, even when we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even when we fall, he's still with us. Therefore, I'm shameless. If he's with us, I'm not only fearless, I'm not only shameless, but I'm also, number three, I'm relentless. What could cause David to run after a giant? He knew who was with him. What could cause Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego to stand in the midst of the furnace? There was somebody else with them in that furnace. What could cause Esther to whisper in the ear of her king with her life at risk? She knew who, who was with him. What could cause Paul and Silas to be beaten and in prison yet still worshiping? They knew even in their most challenging awful circumstances he was with them and when God is with us we are literally relentless that's why Paul said if God be for us who can be against us what could possibly be thrown at us that could stop us if he's with us for 15 years we've been investing our lives in the nations when I had that encounter when I was 12, I was convinced my whole life would be spent in the nations, especially developing nations. But in that very first campaign in Honduras, we invited Pastor Tommy Barnett to be our keynote speaker at the National Spiritual Leaders Conference. So he preached to 10 or 12,000 leaders that Friday morning. And he said, Dominic, I'm planning to stay the weekend. I want to experience the outreach in the Olympic Stadium. I'll never forget it. On my left hand was the president of the nation. On my right side was Pastor Tommy Barnett. And Tommy was whispering all these encouraging words that night. He kept saying, Dominic, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. This is incredible. And I'm thinking, even if this guy is lying, this is absolutely amazing. He's given me the best encouragement I've ever heard. And afterwards, he goes, Dominic, this is so good. I want to invite you to come to LA and experience the Dream Center. Speak on a Thursday night in Angelus Temple. So six months later, February 2014, I got to do the classic tour of the Dream Center. I got to preach at Angelus Temple, and I'm out to dinner with Matt and Tommy Barnett at LA Live, and we're talking, and Tommy looks across the table, and he says, Dominic, I have to be honest, the real reason we brought you here wasn't just to speak at the Dream Center. He said, for six months, I haven't been able to shake this idea what if we had a one-nation, one-day level outreach here in the city of Los Angeles? What if we brought our, those thousands of missionaries here? What if we took an iconic venue here? What if we leveraged our relationships with government and media and churches across the nation and, and brought an outreach to Los Angeles like the world has never seen before? Now, for me, it was such a surprise because I've been such a nation's guy 
I didn't dream of America, think about L.A. even. But how many people know when a general speaks to you in spirit, you can't respond in logic? And I, I told the guys, I said, I came back to our leadership team. I said, guys, there's something about what he said that was so weighty. We just have to hide this in our heart. And five years ago, February 2014, I said, let's just reserve the domain name, OneDayLA.com, and see if God would ever breathe on it. So three years later, we move from southeastern Michigan to the promised land, Southern California. And never have to experience a winter again. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> and this conversation about Los Angeles resurfaces pretty dramatically. So, so many of our great friends here are talking about it. And I found we're back in the office of Matt and Tommy. I said, Matthew, I know this was originally dad's idea, but what do you think? Five years later, do you still think this could be God? We, we meet three times in 2018, and finally on the third meeting, Matt says, guys, I believe this is the outreach the city of Los Angeles has been waiting for for 40 years. So we have one final test. We invite, 60 of, we invite 70 of the most influential spiritual leaders in Los Angeles proper to the Ritz-Carlton downtown for a meeting on June 4th. 60 RSVP'd yes, all 60 came. And many of those leaders said, I've been pastoring here for 25 years. I've never seen this level of representation in one room, ever. Pastor Matthew Barnett opens the meeting. We share the vision. Pastor Jensen Franklin comes over top and gives this outrageous prophetic word of, over what one day LA is about to mean to the city and to America. And in 2020, for the first time, One Nation One Day is going to become One Day LA. As I was praying, I said, Lord, if I'm going to take a pivot to America, why can't we start with like Tulsa? Or why don't we start with Birmingham, Alabama, or an easier city and I said, Lord, you got to just give me a word. Just give me a word. And for four months, he was silent. Actually, it was almost six months he was silent. Finally, I wasn't even thinking about Los Angeles. I was praying and just spending time with him. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just said, Dominic, as you turn towards Los Angeles, I will be with you. And I thought, Lord, when did you say you'd be with me? And all of a sudden, all the scriptures I've been sharing with you came racing through my head at once. As you go into the nations, I'll be with you. I'll be with you, and you'll fear no evil. I'll be with you. And all of a sudden, I heard every word I'm speaking to you today in consecutive order. And I thought, Lord, if you promise you'll be with me, that's all we need. A couple of weeks later, I felt the Lord wrote this phrase on my heart, love has no limits. And I felt the Lord say, Jesus told his disciples, by this, the whole world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And I thought, this was always supposed to be what we're known for as the church. But for so many in America and possibly here in LA, the cross doesn't equal love, it equals hate. The word that we were supposed to be known for, many People not of faith have taken that word, and I, I would say hijacked that word because the church was always supposed to be known for love. And I thought, 
That's the campaign. Love has no limits. Not love without limits because it's a declaration that love has no limits. And we have a dream to mobilize the largest missions team in history, a team of 20,000 missionaries here to the City of Angels to provide the greatest display of love the city has ever seen with one million hours of service to the city and the areas that need it most. How many people think it's possible? And we're so excited because not only do we want to collaborate with this outrageous movement, One Voice, to mobilize 20,000 missionaries and to lead to a moment. We've just two weeks ago finalized the contract. Thank you, Tom, for your help. For the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. I was there last night for the game, and I tell you, when that place is full, it is outrageous. But our dream is not just to fill the stadium, but that the stadium would become a studio. And that thousands would be there, but millions would watch. And in a day, we'd be able to show America a new outreach model. We'd be able to rebrand the church for love again. And that, it, that, that bowl, that arena would be filled, that coliseum would be filled with the most outrageous combination of influencers, artists, and voices to ever stand on the same platform. And that after that one-hour live broadcast, not only would thousands be reached in the Coliseum, but millions will watch and millions would come into the kingdom. How many people think it's possible? In a part of this irrational, outrageous display of love, we're dreaming with Brian and the entire team here that every high school in LA would be adopted. <laughs> And we've made it an internal goal as, a mission, as, as an organization that we're going to stand with one voice and connect these hundreds of churches that work with us. We're going to say, guys, this week was the catalytic moment. This week was a, a start. But the way love's really going to have no limits is this. One by one, you guys would take a high school in the city. And we're going to see every high school. How many people believe we can see every high school adopted in L.A.? If he is with us, how many people believe we are relentless and we are limitless? One of the things we've been declaring as an organization is that we have just entered into the best decade of ministry history since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the start of the early church. And I believe we've not just entered into a new season. When, the, when they declared at the Send a New Era, I stood in agreement with that because a season is a glimpse of something we've seen before. It is winter time in LA. We know the days are going to be shorter. We know that it'll be slightly cooler. We know what's going to happen here because we've lived through it before. But we've not just entered into a new season as the global church. We've entered into a new era. And in this new era, God's moving on his church and through his church as never before in human history. And I believe that means we as missionaries, we as ambassadors, we as volunteers, we as leaders can begin to dream, think, plan, operate, function on a level we have never functioned before because there are no rules in this next era. 
I believe that we are going to see with our eyes and experience with our eyes what previous generations only dreamed of and only prophesied. How many people are ready to stand in the fulfillment of prayers prayed, prophecies declared? I believe this is our time. And I believe as we dare to take audacious steps of faith, Jesus would say to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. Would you stand to your feet all across the room this morning? Of all the things we communicated this morning, I feel specifically God wants to impart a fearless spirit. And even the spiritual gift of faith. The Bible says we have to fight the good fight of faith, but then it also says in the book of Corinthians that there is a spiritual gift of faith. And when the spiritual gift of faith functions, you don't have to fight to be in faith. When the gift of faith operates, it's when the Holy Spirit supernaturally empties your heart of doubt and gives you a knowing in the Spirit gives you a confident assurance in the spirit that it's already done. And I believe right now that the, the spirit of God even would want to impart the spiritual gift of faith. That would cause us to stand in a place of impossibility. Because I am convinced that God doesn't even get involved in the possible. He doesn't get involved in the possible because it doesn't require him. God gets involved in the impossible. And I believe he's inviting us into as a generation the impossible as our normal. The impossible as our, as our everyday life. The impossible, what eye has never seen and ear has never heard. That together, even as a movement of one voice, that you would not do what other student ministries would do, but you, you would fearlessly pioneer. That you would, you would break a new template, a new mold. That there would be a new reference point for the church of what's possible in high schools across America. And I do believe it has global implications. That what we are doing here in this nation will be reproduced in the nations of the earth. If that's you this morning, you say, I'm, I'm hungry for that spiritual gift of faith. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty to live fearlessly. Would you just come to this altar tonight, this morning? I believe the Spirit of God, even as you come, you're, you're leaving your fear at your seat. You're leaving insecurity at your seat. You're, you're leaving vision of, of your own weaknesses at your seat. If I look at myself and my own weaknesses, I'll be pretty, pretty helpless. But if I look at him, the impossible is the only logical conclusion. Father, would you lift your hands with me right now? I, I actually, I don't even have to say it. Just lift your hands right now. I want him to begin to do it by the Spirit. 